Won't Welcome give a round to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, Clap it up where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Ernie Carter. Greg, that we was beautiful. To help you Thank you, Clark. Thank you, praise team. To your daily life. I really felt the spirit moving. I don't know about y'all. Today we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. We haven't, I don't know if we've been there for a while. I haven't been in the Old Testament for a little bit other than, you know, we're in Exodus for like a year and a half. But we're going to be in Habakkuk. If you don't know where that is, go to Matthew, hang a left, a few pages in your scripture, and then you'll run into Habakkuk. We'll be in Habakkuk 3, mainly in verses 17 to 19, but um, to set up verses 17 through 19, we're going to read the first 16 verses as well. It sets it up. I didn't want to leave it out. And so if you're looking in your bulletin or if you got it, you see that I titled today's sermon, Attitude Adjustment. And if you like old country music, like I do, you're like, hey, doesn't Hank Jr. have a song like that? I stole it from him, so thanks, Hank. Um, we're going to be talking about adjusting our attitude. And so uh, the theme, the ongoing theme for today is when all else fails, rejoice in the Lord. But that's easier said than done, right? When everything's going wrong, it's easy to say, oh, we got to rejoice. Oh, don't worry. When things aren't going your way, you're in a bad season. Life around you is not going too well. But it's okay because we're supposed to rejoice in the Lord. I'm not up here telling you we're not allowed to have feelings. We aren't allowed to be sad. We aren't allowed to be frustrated. We aren't allowed to mourn. We aren't allowed to grieve. But when we've gotten off that roller coaster of emotions, when we've gotten off that ride, it's important that we have a clear-cut understanding that even when things are going wrong, we are allowed to rejoice in the Lord. Rejoicing in hardships is not the easiest thing to do. I'm not up here telling you that it's going to be easy to do. But it takes a special person to have that mindset when things are going wrong, that they know that they're able to rejoice in the Lord. And so I think there's uh, real special people in the world that always have a positive outlook on life, always are joyful, always are happy. And unfortunately, I'm not one of those people yet. I hope to be one of those people, but I'm not there yet. But do you know that person who's always joyful, has a positive outlook on life, has a glass half full mentality? That person. Think of someone you know like that. And if you don't know someone like that, I'm going to tell you about two people like that. They think that life is just this ongoing uh, walk in a sunflower's field. Nothing's going to ever go wrong, but they're always just happy. Those people always seem joyful. And every person that I think of that has that outlook on life, there's something very special about them is that they have faith in Jesus Christ. These people are special. These people are unique individuals, but not because of who they are, but because of who Christ is. As a follower of Christ, we're able to rejoice in the hardships because we know that Christ has won. I could tell you, I know I'm thankful that enough that I have multiple people like this in my life, but there's one person um, who I went to church with growing up, and his name was Clarence. His name was Clarence Nemens. He was a little guy. I don't know if he was always this small, but towards the end of his life, he, he shrunk a little bit. Clarence was this, was this happy person, always joyful, never seemed to have a bad day. He was always smiling and always wanting to invest in people's lives. And Clarence served as associate pastor for many, many years. And even when he retired from the, from the pulpit or retired from pastoring, he was still that shepherd, still investing in people's lives, still wanting people to grow closer to God. And so growing up, um, 
I've played, I've played many sports, but I've played baseball. And Clarence loved baseball. And so on Wednesdays and Sundays, we'd talk baseball. He would find me and we'd come talk baseball. He would ask me how practice was, if I was having fun, if I was doing any good. Um, he would also, back when there was actually a newspaper, he would cut it out and bring it to church, right? And so when I made the newspaper and had a good game, he would bring it to church and we would talk about baseball. And he would just love to invest in people's lives. And it wasn't just me, it was to everyone that Clarence came into contact with. Clarence was a joy to be around and he got a nickname for just how positive he was. So you, when you run into someone out in town, you usually say, oh, how you doing? And they go, oh, good, or whatever they say to you. But when you talk to Clarence, he would simply say, wonderful. It was always wonderful. Not, I'm doing okay, I could be better. He would always say with a big smile on his face, I'm doing wonderful. And Clarence got a nickname for that. We started calling him, I didn't start calling him, people started calling him Mr. Wonderful. And so Clarence, Mr. Wonderful, had this positive outlook on life because he knew that even in the hardships and tough times in his life, he could rejoice in the goodness of God. Even to his last days on this side of eternity, Clarence was Mr. Wonderful. Do you ever think about the impact that we have on people? Especially if you're a believer of Christ, do you think about the impact that you have on people around you? Do we have an attitude like Clarence? Can we find the positive things in life even when life is just kicking you? Do we have that mentality that no matter what's going on, we can rejoice in the Lord? And so another example of someone like Clarence is my granddad. You don't know him. He's been here, uh, I think, twice. Maybe once, I'm not sure. But he is another guy like Clarence. And I'm thankful that I have a lot of male role models in my life. My dad, my papa, and my granddad. All three are incredible men and all three have differences and all, thing, all three have different strengths and weaknesses. And all three have taught me many different things. And so my granddad is one of the most faithful believers I have ever met in my life. And so there was a trip where he and my, my nana, these are my mom's parents, got to go on a trip to the Holy Land. They were walking the footsteps where Jesus was, they were walking the path that Jesus was on, they were walking the roads where Christ was. And then they get to the Sea of Galilee and they're walking on the shore. And I, he never told me this story, but my mom told it to me and he said that they were walking by the Sea of Galilee and he bent down and he put his hand in the water and he began to weep. Not because something bit him or something was in the water because he could not believe that he was touching the water that Jesus did. He felt so unworthy to be able to experience where Christ was, he began to weep. He was rejoicing that he was able to experience the same things that the Son of God did on this earth. Both Clarence and my granddad are amazing men, but they do not do this alone. They do not do it alone. They're only this way because they have experienced God, they have seen promises kept, and they have seen the outcome of genuine faith. A pastor in Texas, his name is Josh Howerton, and he once was having this conversation with an older Christian man in his life. They're talking, and Josh said to this man, well, I guess you just have more faith than me. I guess you just have more faith in God than I do. And the older man looked at Josh, and I can just imagine him, him laughing and looking at him, and said, no, I don't have more faith in you. I just have more experience with a faithful God. And I think that is just so beautiful. So this morning we're going to be talking about another guy whose life was completely changed by God. This man's name is Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk was a man of God. 
And by the end of our time together, we're going to see the importance that Habakkuk saw of putting full faith and trust in God because God is working out all things for his glory and for our good. And so Habakkuk is a guy that's got some questions for God. He's got some questions for God. And so um, through, the, through the readings that we'll have, we'll see that Habakkuk doesn't understand some things that God's doing. And I don't think that's, that's you know, unique because I think we've all had those questions. We've all had those thoughts like, God, are you sure you know what you're doing? And then we realize, yeah, he knows what he's doing because he's God. And so uh, Habakkuk didn't like some things that God was doing, didn't understand some things that God was doing, and maybe even thought they were a little weird. And Habakkuk got a little frustrated with God. And so all these things we're going to read about is what's going on during Habakkuk's time. And so the story of Habakkuk is very similar to the story of Job. And if you've heard, if you've heard the story of Job, uh, you'll understand kind of what I'm talking about. And if you've never heard of Job, it's a book in the Bible. It looks like Job, but it's pronounced Job. And so Job is a servant of Christ. You like that one? And so Job is a servant of Christ, right? And so Job was a guy who was basically tormented by Satan. Anybody want to sign up for that? didn't think so and so Job was tormented by Satan but the funny thing is that Satan had to go to God to get permission to torment Job I think that's hilarious that Satan had to ask hey do you you mind if I tempt this guy God knew that Job's faith was so genuine so deep that nothing that Satan could do would turn Job against God and God only had one one catch he said Satan you can do everything you want to Job except take his life and Satan said, okay, and he did exactly that. He did everything he could except take Job's life. There's no cattle for Job. All the fields didn't produce. Family got sick. Friends turned against him. Illness fell upon him. All these things were, were gone. And Job never turned his back on God. Never turned away. His friends would say, why don't you turn away from him? His family says, why do you still have this faith that God is allowing all these things to happen? Job gets a little frustrated and cries out to God, why me, why are these things happening? And I think God was waiting for Job to ask him this so he could straight up just say, God said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? I don't know if that's a bigger slap in the face to somebody, but God was saying, where were you when I created everything? Who are you to question me? Who are you? Who are you, Job? When Job got put back in his place, he realized that all these things of this earth don't matter. Anything could come upon us. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is true faith in God. And so Habakkuk is experiencing some similar things, but with a few changes. So the, so the first two chapters of Habakkuk are basically his complaints to God. And God responds both times. But the way he responds, I think, kind of shocks Job. Or Job. Habakkuk. The way God responds shocks Habakkuk here. And so he's saying in the first two chapters that, uh, that Judah is about to be judged. Right? The nation of Judah is about to be judged. And so Habakkuk's been around for a while. He has seen the spiritual and moral decline of the entire nation. And so this is why um, Habakkuk is playing with God because he sees the downfall of the nation. And so God responds and Habakkuk hears that, Ju that Judah is going to be judged but not only are they going to be judged, but they're going to be judged by the Babylonians. And if that doesn't uh, make any sense, Babylon is a wicked and sinful nation. And so Habakkuk is having this idea. It's like, why, why, is, Jude, why is Judah going to be, be judged by these sinful people, by this wicked nation? But in reality, Judah has become just as sinful and just as wicked as the Babylonians. 
God is about to use a very, very wicked nation to judge another wicked and sinful nation. So Habakkuk probably could have imagined many ways that God was going to going to, to use uh, Judah or be judged or to judge Judah, but to use the Babylonians, I think, was not an idea. But God is completely clear that Babylon and both Judah will be judged, even though Habakkuk does not understand at the beginning why Judah is going to be judged. It will make much sense whenever he realizes that all wisdom and all power come from the sovereign God. And so that's kind of setting up where we're going to be today. I'm going to read the first uh, 16 verses, and then we'll spend the rest of our time in 17 and 19. So if you have your Bibles at Habakkuk 3, um, I'll go ahead and read. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigionoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came to Timon and Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like a light. Rays flashed from his hands and there he veiled his power. Before him, pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tenants of Cushan and affliction and the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers of your indignation against the sea? When you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation... You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed and raging waters swept upon. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and the moon stood still in their place and at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed in the nations of anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound of rottenness entering my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. And so this is, this is Habakkuk's prayer. And so this is, I think this is kind of formatted like a psalm. It kind of looks like one of the psalms. And so most of this chapter, most of uh, chapter 3 is just Habakkuk reflecting on what God has done for the nation of Israel, right? And it's reflecting on the goodness of God and what he did through the nation of Israel. And so those 16 verses just set up the next three verses. And the next three verses, I think, are some of the most, most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Verse 17, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take my joy in God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He makes me tread on my places high. So looking at verse 17, there's no figs, there's no grapes, there's no olives. But it gets worse. There's no flock and there's no herd. 
The first three, uh, no figs, no olives, no grapes. Look at these as luxury items. Look at these as things in your life that you don't necessarily need, but it's nice to have. Not having any figs, not having any grapes or olives. They're nice to have, but life can go on without these things. But the last, the last two, no herd or no flock. That basically means no food. No food. Can we live without food? No. That's bad news. The last two are needs. They are essentially saying that there's no food and this, this is a death sentence for the entire nation. All the luxury items are gone. All of the needs are gone. So imagine, imagine in your own life all the things that we have that we don't necessarily need. I, I think of one like my coffee pot. I feel like I need it in the mornings, but do I need it for life? No. Is it nice to have? Yes. Do I love it with my whole heart? Absolutely. And so imagine, imagine your coffee pot in your own life, whatever that coffee pot is. Imagine that's gone. Oh, you know, that's unfortunate. Life can go on. But now imagine there's no food and there's no water. You, you, you wrapped your head around that all your luxury items are gone. You can survive. But now your chances of survival are zero. That's, what's facing, that's what Habakkuk is facing here. But once you have your understanding that you can survive, you think you have a sense of security, you think you have a sense of an idea of what you can do, and then everything else is taken away. How would, how would you respond when all your luxury items are gone, when your coffee pot's gone, but then it gets worse and there's no food? This is what Habakkuk is facing and this is what he's writing about. All the needs and wants of the entire nation are gone. So looking at there's no figs, no grapes, no olives, no food, no herd. This is, this is not just going to be one bad year for Judah. We're talking about famine level, famine level, mis, uh, I don't know what I was trying to say. It's going to be like a famine level of no food, no grapes, no olives. The whole nation is set up for many years of failure. Everything is gone. How would we respond when everything's gone? How will you respond? Church, we have to understand that the things that we have, the things that we own, the things that we enjoy are not our salvation. The things of this world are nothing there's one thing that is eternal and that is salvation in Christ Jesus. God will still be on the throne when the things that we want and desire are long gone. So Habakkuk here is saying in these, in these verses that there's no jobs, the house is gone, the clothes are gone, the food is gone, and don't forget that war is on the horizon because Babylon's going to invade. There's no hope, there's no joy, nothing is going good. But look at verse 18. Everything, everything's going wrong. There's famine, there's war coming, but what does Habakkuk say in verse 18? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take my joy in God for my salvation. Look at that mindset. He knows that there's nothing good going to happen. But does he sit there and cry and say, woe is me? Or does he say, thank God I have my faith in God. He has my salvation. I will rejoice in the Lord. A guy named Tim Keller once told this story that there was an English missionary named Alan Gardner in 1855. And so he and his crew were shipwrecked. They shipwrecked on an uninhabited uh, desert island. There's nothing there. No people. There's nothing. 
They crashed on this island around the, the tip of South America. Each, each of them, one by one that was shipwrecked, one by one died of starvation. Each one of them, one by one, passing away, passing away, passing away. And we believe that Alan uh, was the last one who survived because he kept a journal of what was going on. And Alan, his last journal entry, while he's starving, while he's dying, while he's seen everyone around him die, when he knows that his life is over, what does he write about? His last journal entry, Psalm 34, verse 10, it says, The young lions do not lack and suffer, I'm sorry, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger. But they who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. This man has not eaten in what, what could be days, has not had any water, and he's thanking the Lord for who he is. The last thing that Alan wrote after Psalm 34, he's dying, he knows he will, his life is over, he knows he'll never see his family again, all his friends are gone. He says, I am overwhelmed with the sense of the goodness of God. How do you see the goodness of God when you're passing away like that? How do you see the goodness of God when everyone around you is gone? When there's no hope? When there's no joy? If Alan Garner had faith in himself and joy in himself, all his hope would be gone. But he knows Christ Jesus died for him and his hope is in Christ Jesus and not in himself. He's dying of starvation. Life is over. He wanted to be a missionary. He was on his way to be a missionary and never got to. Yet he's overwhelmed with the goodness of God. We look at the goodness, I, well, this is my opinion, I think we look at the goodness of God when there's only good things happening to us. When there's only good things happening to your family. Oh, that's the goodness of God. But what happens when there's bad things happening? Do you think about that as the goodness of God? What do you do when life gets tough? How do you respond when life gets tough? Are you thanking God or are you cursing God? Getting in the word and being in prayer is our direct contact with God. That's the beauty of the scripture is that we are reading the word of God. How can we experience true goodness of God if we're not in contact with him? How can we experience true contact with God with our Bibles closed and little prayer life? Habakkuk, verse, or Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 says, The righteous will live by faith. What are you living by? Are you living by your faith? When life is just beating you down, there's no light at the end of the tunnel, the world around you will tell you to take matters into your own hands. The world around you would tell you to turn your back against God. The world around you would tell you that you know yourself better. You know what to do. You can do it. The world will tell you to try and fix it yourself. When there doesn't seem to be any good moments in life right now, when there doesn't seem to be anything going your way, think about the times where you felt so close to God when God was bringing all these blessings to you. Remember that because that's a promise that God will watch over his flock. But the righteous will live by faith. The world tells us a lot of things. The world tries to tell you a lot of things. The world tries to teach you 
a lot of things. Like you got to accomplish things by a certain age. You got to graduate college or grad school or, or get married, find a job, have kids. You have to do all that by a certain age. The world tells you that you have to have the newest thing, the best thing, the brightest thing, the coolest thing. You have to have more money. You have to grow a bigger retirement account. You have to buy more land. The world tells you that you can never be content. The world tells you that you have to be the one who wants it all. The world tells you that you need more and more and more. The world tells you that you will find your identity and your fulfillment and things. The things that we care so much about, the things that you want so much, the things that we desire and covet and treasure will one day be covered in dust. They will be on the shelves of thrift shops and they will be what is in the landfills. That's why it's so dangerous to put up treasure here on earth because the things of this earth don't last forever. We're supposed to store up our treasure in heaven. Why do we place so much joy and happiness on things that don't matter? Where do you place your joy? Where do you find your joy? Why do you think that people try to find fulfillment in things? Why do you think people try to fill or find fulfillment and joy in things? Because they have something missing from them. And if they are part, if they are not of a part of the body of Christ, I can tell you what it is. If you're not a true believer in Christ, you will always have a, have a void in your life that's trying to be filled with things that don't belong. If you're not a follower of Christ, you will be searching to fill that void until the day that you pass away and that, that void can only be filled by the Son of God. We must find our contentment in the Lord because we will never be satisfied away from the Lord. Look at Habakkuk. Everything that can go wrong for this guy is going wrong. If Habakkuk would, would listen to the world around him, if he would follow the actions of the nation, if he, would have, if he would have been a part of the spiritual demise and the moral disintegration, he would rebuild against God and he would have no hope. No hope. But writing verses 17 and 19, where is Habakkuk's hope? Where is his joy? Where is his salvation? Is it in the things of the world? No. It's in belief of God the Father, almighty in heaven. No figs, no fruit, no olives, no food, no flock, no herd, and war is coming. If Habakkuk would have listened to the nation, he would have no hope. Hope would be lost, all joy is gone, but because Habakkuk has his faith in God, he knows where his true happiness is, he knows where his true hope is, and he knows where his salvation comes from. Habakkuk's not worried about the things of the word, he's worrying about his sanctification, his salvation. Habakkuk doesn't find his joy, his peace, his faith, his satisfaction, his salvation or his sanctification in the things of the world because he knows the things of the world are gone in a blink of an eye because they were for him. And that's the same for you and me. Everything around us can be gone. But there's one thing that won't ever be gone. There's one who will never be gone. 
That one who's never gone took that cross for you and me. The one who shed his blood for you and me. The one who came down, lived a perfect sinless life, died for you and me. He's that one. He's that one that we're to put our salvation in. He's the one that gives us the gift of salvation. Habakkuk doesn't find his belonging or in his identity in things. He finds his identity and belonging in God the Father. But Habakkuk had faith in the one who is forever. He places his joy, he places his peace, he is filled, he is satisfied, and he knows an identity because his identity is the one who doesn't fail. The world around him is falling apart, but God the Father never does. We're not, we're not in the same situation as Habakkuk. You know, except for when we thought there was going to be, you know, a gas shortage or during when the grocery store shelves were low of toilet paper for some odd reason. We thought we were facing some trials. But thankfully, we, don't, we really won't face no figs, no food, no flock, no herd. We won't face the same trials as Habakkuk, but we will all face different trials. When those trials come, what are we going to rejoice in? Are we going to rejoice in the goodness of God, or are we going to rejoice in ourselves? If you're here today, and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it could be the best decision that you ever made. It will be the best decision that you ever make. Christ came and lived a perfect life. He came and, and took the ones that no one wanted. The disciples were ones that had no hope. He took the disciples. They were looking for a rabbi. And he says, come and follow me. But was it easy for the disciples to follow? Some said, yeah, I'll go. But some wanted to do some things first. The cost of following Jesus Christ is the cost of your life. Christ took the, the cross for you and me that we will one day be reconnected with him and the Father in heaven. Christ came as the mediator to reconnect us with God. If you're here today, you know, make a, if you want to make a decision to join the church or join the body of Christ, I'll be down here in front. And if you're a guest, uh, Pastor Mike will be over on the other side. We'd love to connect, you, connect with you after the service. Two things to think about maybe three how, how is our attitude are we like Clarence who is Mr. Wonderful or maybe Mrs. Wonderful out there are we reflecting the love of Jesus Christ and the people all around us how's our attitude and the last two is where's your faith and where's your identity while Greg comes up and leads I'll be down front if anyone needs prayers or someone to talk to. Where's your identity? Where's your faith? Let's pray.